He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. You know, believing in yourself and believing in your team has got a lot of advantages there. I mean, that's kind of, that's the big thing that I think carried us through, you know, the initial COVID wave is we just, we believed in the idea, we believed in the company, we believed in ourselves, and we just kind of, you know, decided to persevere through, uh, even though we didn't have a clear in data when that, you know, the whole COVID thing might, might uh, resolve itself. Fortunately, it was pretty, you know, it resolved itself relatively quickly. Um, but I think that's one thing that, you know, we both, my Dan, Dan and I talk about this all the time that we, we hang on to because I mean, even this last year in 2022, it wasn't COVID, but you know, we're dealing with 40 high, 40 year high inflation and interest rates increasing at the fastest pace they have in, in decades. So, you know, there was a lot of turbulence and choppy waters, um, that we were experiencing, you know, the first and second quarter last year. And it's just kind of hanging on to that same, you know, that same, uh, mindset that we had in COVID. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. Welcome back to the podcast, and this episode is brought to you by our friends at Minute and Hostfully. If you haven't heard of Minute, Minute is the number one noise and occupancy detection device for short-term rental operators just like you. From their outdoor and indoor sensors, you can ensure that with their audio ID technology that you are not getting any false positives for things like wind blowing, plates breaking, dogs barking, doorbells ringing, you name it. You will only get notified when there's an actual potential party happening on site, and that could both be indoor and outdoors, especially as we come up to spring and summer seasons. Not only that, but they have amazing integrations from smart locks and other software partners, of course, like Hostfully. Now, if you don't know about Hostfully, then Hostfully is a property management platform built for short-term rental operators to ensure that they have the best connectivity with channels like Airbnb, Verbo, and Booking.com. Not only that, but they have the best integration marketplace I've ever seen, so that way, Operators like you can choose and pick their tech stack without having to force and comply to different operations that just don't make sense for you. Plus, their digital guidebooks are the best in class and your guests will love them because all the information they need to know about check-in all the way to check-out and the destination are right there at the touch of their fingertips. Check out these special offers from our partners, both Minute and Hostfully, in order to ensure that you are getting the best value with your technology as you continue to operate your business. Back to the episode and thank you so much for tuning in to Slick Talk. All right, Slick Talkers, welcome back to another episode of the podcast today. And I am joined by not one, but two guests. We have the co-founders of Host Financial. We have Adam and Daniel. Daniel and I have gotten to hang out a couple times in person starting last year after our STR Wealth Conference, and then also getting to hang out a little bit in Denver. But I just got to meet Adam recently and learn a little bit about their story. And I'm just excited to have them both on the show. So gentlemen, how are we doing today? We're doing good. Doing, doing great. Great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, uh, let's jump in. And I know you guys are co-founders. You both have history in real estate and getting into the short-term rental space. But actually, since I know a little bit about Daniel and his story and kind of his whole personality, I'm going to go the opposite route. I'm going to go Adam. 
I'm going to pick on you first and going into what got you into this industry. Also, what give us some background, some highlights, who you are, and I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, sure. You know, Host Financial kind of started as a, as a solution to, you know, one of our own problems, as, as most companies are. You know, right around in, in uh, 2018, Dan had just uh, sold a company. So he was uh, getting into, you know, the short-term rental space and short-term rental investing. But like a lot of investors that didn't have a typical kind of W-2 job, plenty of liquidity, but, you know, not that standard W-2-based income that a lot of lenders look for. Uh, and my background is uh, I worked in commercial real estate development for a little over 10 years in Southern California, San Diego specifically. And that's how Dan and I kind of got connected through social circles. And, you know, we started chatting about the short-term rental investments he was looking at and the challenges he was having with financing. And I'm looking at the deals that Dan was looking at. Uh, and I'm kind of looking at it from a developer's perspective, because that's my background, just looking at the returns, cash on cash, IRR, however you want to analyze it. And they perform phenomenally. They're numbers I would have killed for. And then you couple that with the fact that they're challenging to finance. And we just kind of started talking and, and seemed like there was an opportunity to kind of put some solutions together to solve this problem and then build a company around it to help other people that have the similar situation. I love that. And Daniel, what made you even curious or interested to get into the short-term rental space after the exit of your previous business? Uh, well, I'd always dabbled with short-term rentals, even before I owned any properties, I believe. Uh, in like 2013, I had this really awesome two-bedroom penthouse with hardwood floors, beautiful view of downtown San Diego. And I started to Airbnb that just used to check it out and we just crushed it. I mean, that property performed so well that I would go to New Zealand for a month and it would pay for my rent and the trip. And <laughs> I was okay, like, this is really cool. And I, man, looking back 2013, I wish I would have gotten to it a lot sooner, seriously, as an investor realizing how ripe that opportunity was and how early it was. But I remember doing the Airbnb like in our own home and had that, you know, that's how it was early. People were doing it where they lived. And yeah. I remember the first time that we uh, rented it out, me and my roommate, my buddy Craig, I was fine with everything. I would just rent it out and, you know, I'd take a laptop, my watches, whatever that was like, fine goods. Valuable. Yeah. Valuable. And yeah. the first time we rented it out, Craig had uh, taken out, it took out everything. It basically moved out. For that, <laughs> that first month and like took out all of his clothes and everything. I'm, I'm thinking, no, it's going to take your clothes. Like, you know, I was a little bit more comfortable with the, the hosting aspect. I really like, you know, the hospitality factor. Uh, I like creating experience for, experiences for people. Like someone's coming in for the birthday and they came in and they said, Hey, I'm here for my birthday. We're going to really big on beer. I'm going to look at the, you know, local brews, my, my friends. And so I would, you know, go get my favorite local brew, like a growler and leave that for him. Like, Hey, here's to start off your trip nicely. Leave him a license, just things like that. The connections you built and the human aspect, the, the industry and I, and opening up your home to somebody at that time for me, I, I just, you know, that's how it kind of started for me with short-term rentals and being interested in it. And then after I sold the company, you know, it was always in the back of my mind, those numbers that the whole experience that people you get to deal with every day. I'm a very much a people person. And, you know, when I was looking at what the next chapter of me uh, for me was going to be, that was just immediate. I, I thought, okay, this is what I've always thought about doing, but never had the time. So let's do this. Yeah. So you already had a little bit of a taste. I like it. Adam, I'm always curious. So when Daniel approaches you, right, with these, these potential investments and struggling with financing, not having the W-2 that banks like to have. And as a developer, what immediately did, was there a specific light bulb moment for you when he presented this or did it take a lot of 
throwing some spaghetti at the wall and hoping it stuck. No, I mean, it was uh, it was pretty immediate, you know, because like I said, you know, Dan was showing me these uh, investments that he was looking at. And again, I'm, I'm just kind of analyzing it from typical Brent benchmarks that we would use in, you know, the development world. And again, they were just crushing it, whether you look at it from like a cash on cash return perspective or, you know, five year IRR or whatever metric you want to use. They were just, you know, performing phenomenally. And again, this is even back in 2018. So this is like before a lot of the run up that occurred in 2020 and 2021. So, you know, a lot of these markets were just just crushing it. So I guess that was kind of a light bulb moment, I guess you could say, because, you know, I was pretty I, I'd always, you know, I'd stayed in Airbnbs, obviously, like everyone had at that point. Um, but I never really was uh, digging into it on from like an investment standpoint. So when I actually saw the numbers, I was pretty, pretty blown away. And then, you know, couple that with the fact that there's, you know, a, a difficulty in getting financing. That's kind of, I guess, where the uh, the light bulb uh, opportunity kind of popped in 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 my head and in in Dan's head as well. And we just started to kind of explore. I, I had had contacts in you know capital market space and um, private equity from development days. So we just kind of started reaching out to some of those same groups and kind of painting the same the same picture and being like, look, these are the numbers that a lot of these investors are seeing, performs really well. But then you couple that that there's you know, a lack of, of really quality commercial standard commercial real estate type financing, you know, that was, that was the whole genesis of the, the company right there. Yeah. And I think another light bulb moment was really the going to the DRMAs and just, you know, yeah, that's true. See, we're doing financing as, you know, let's, let's explore and let's find a solution. And there's nobody there. Yeah. Er, er, early on, you know, when we were having these initial discussions, um, yeah, we were like, let's go to this VRMA conference in, in, uh, in Vegas and kind of, you know, get, get some more details on what's going on in the industry. And uh, yeah, that was very much light bulb moment as well. Cause we walk into this giant convention hall and there's all these different people talking about, you know, this project or property management software or this smart lock or what, whatever, but there was no one talking about financing. So that was just another point that really reinforced that there was an opportunity here and we, we jumped in. And what year was that for you guys to yeah, attend? 2018. 2018. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Just I think that VRMA was in October ish of 2018. And we basically launched a company shortly after that. Well, I was going to say so pre COVID, then did you guys have a lot of traction with getting operators and um, potential investors financing to then see like a pre COVID and post COVID terms now that we're in? Or. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we started in 2018, but we really started kind of getting rolling in, in the beginning of 2019. And 2019 was a lot of, you know, developing partnerships and, and things like that. And towards the end of 2019, going into 2020, you know, that's when we were kind of hitting our hockey stick moment where, you know, the revenue and the amount of deals and everything that we're pushing through really started to kind of go parabolic. And then that's when <laughs> March of 2020 happened and the pandemic happened. And it impacted us and everybody in the lending space. I mean, capital froze, just stopped. Deals in the pipeline didn't matter. Just everyone was done. It was this black swan event. No one knew what COVID was going to do. And in the whole lending world just stopped. And it was frozen for, for several months. Um, but you know, Dan and I stuck with it. And kind of coming out of the summer of 2020 is when things started rolling again. And then basically since like July, August of 2020, you know, month over month, quarter over quarter, we've been growing ever since what went through you guys head during that time of nothing from like uh, as, can, I and not, and, can i swear uh, on this podcast a hundred percent uh but uh, not in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my mind like shit. well and not just like as a uh, maybe as a bit like business but personally right like you guys have a lot invested i think any entrepreneur has a lot 
uh, emotionally, financially, physically, mentally yeah. invested in the company, right? So, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, tough too. Have... And I, I had a, a two-year-old at the time. Mm. And um, so, you know, when it first happened, I think that the, the, it, was, uh, it was the unknowing part of it. It wasn't like, hey, you know, things are going to be impacted for three months or four or five or six. There was just no end to it. It was just COVID and everyone was trying to grapple with it. The whole world was. We didn't really know if this was going to be like a couple months thing. This is going to be a year thing. It was really, really uncertain times. Uh, fortunately, it turned out not to you know, last as long as everyone thought. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a stressful couple months, I guess you could say. It's for the last 15 days, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Adam, I was going to say Adam had a little bit more uh, you know, responsibility to do with like me, not so much, but still, uh, it was very, very stressful. You know, we, we had to scramble to really even think about what we can do to earn income because we had taken a risk and put you know full time into a company and we had developed you know some some relationships with a lot of entrepreneurs that were investing and thought what could we offer these clients in the meantime what value can we bring to this list of clientele uh, that we it's email list that we have and so we started brokering ppp loan and trying to get you know we helped a lot of businesses out that way and unfortunately we didn't even qualify we, didn't, we just started in the sure. Uh, right. qualify ourselves. And so that's what we did to, in the meantime to, to make it over the hump is to help people with, you know, navigating that evolving process of qualification for a payment protection program. So their companies could. Yeah, that's, that's a whole new, a whole new world. And my, I think I told you this, Daniel, pre-interview and everything else when we were hanging out here in Denver, uh, I think I told you it was like my, my biggest unknown in this industry is the financing side. I don't, own and invest in properties at the moment. So it's always been kind of a scary and nerve wracking topic for me because I, I just don't do it. So for me, a lot of this stuff is kind of foreign language. But going into uh, one thing I can speak on, which is creative financing. And like you're saying, like brokering PPP loans or uh, whatever that might be, leveraging credit cards. Or one thing I found out in COVID was like Stripe Capital. Stripe has like a capital mm. program. You can leverage your leverage your MRR basically that there and they can front you some cash and you can use it to either sustain or scale or whatever it is. So for you guys, I guess, give me a walkthrough as a newer person that's getting into like the financing investing side of the short-term rental space. You know, what is host financial? What was it started to be and how has it evolved to be where you guys are today getting into a lot of, like you said, Adam, that hockey puck uh, uptick that you've seen with the, uh, with the product and offering that you guys do for operators. Yeah, I mean, so the the lending landscape has changed a lot since we've been around in terms of how hosts and operators can really qualify for financing for these type of deals. I mean, early on, it was, um, you know, a lot of people were qualifying as, you know, second homes, right? So you had to have a high enough W-2 income to, to justify another purchase, or was a lot of people doing doing flips and, like you said, running up credit cards and then trying to find a way to to exit out of that and hold it as a short-term rental. But, you know, the, the landscape has evolved a lot, and that's kind of what, you know, we try to help hosts and people that we work with is because there's a lot of different ways to get financing for these short-term rentals, lots of different ways to qualify, whether you're looking at, you know, projected income from a um, AirDNA or from a Rabu or something like that. Or if you're in a market where the long-term rents can justify it, there's just a lot of ways to skin that. And that's kind of what we specialize in is, is helping people navigate that landscape because every deal is different. Every investor is different. Every market's different. So, you know, what, what might work as a solution in Gatlinburg may not work for downtown Denver, right? Or there may be different options that are more competitive one way or the other. So that's really, you know, what we strive to do is kind of help people navigate those waters. For sure. And 
did you either of you have any financing background prior to outside of like the development side and Dana, what was your even what was even your business that you sold getting in pre pre host financial oh man so <laughs> the business i'd sold was a cannabis grow house in washington a friend of mine washington growing state? up my best friends had yeah washington state he had awesome went to gonzaga to get his mba and and through it, one of his classes, they were studying the emerging, emerging cannabis market. And there was a lottery for licenses for retail and grow. And he had put his name in the hat and got it. And he calls me up and he says, hey, you know, at the time I had been running a B2B, uh, you know, digital marketing company, servicing, uh, providing products for digital marketing agencies. And at the time I had built it off of like contractors and didn't really have like a set of employees, more like a you know, a lifestyle, digital marketing business, travel the world, work as many less hours as possible. And then he had said, hey, I got this license. I could sell for $100,000 or we can start a company together. And I said, let's start a company. I want to be on a mission with somebody. Let's build it. I don't smoke weed, but, you know, <laughs> the green rush was all, all the hype, very yeah. exciting. And I went into that and I just really learned the lesson that the economics weren't really built in the favor of the growers. It was really just an expense until I sold it. Didn't make any money until I sold it. And, you know, I really learned the lesson, never do anything just, just for the money or the, the opportunity, because I could have lasted, you know, several other years for the shakeout in the industry to level out, to make things profitable. But I just realized I didn't really enjoy the community and enjoy the industry. I didn't even, you know, use the product. So I just decided, okay, I can be hard-headed and stubborn, which, and persevere, which is a quality that I have, or I can just, you know, swallow my pride and, you know, cut my losses and sell it and make a little bit of money and then move on. And I'm very glad I did. So, uh, you know, now I enjoy everybody that I talk to, everything that I'm learning. I was never in finance, just entrepreneur, you know, went to San Diego State for a business degree. And Adam and I started the company was learning on the fly, these financing options. And going from there, but yeah, no finance background, just digital marketing, if anything. Yeah. Well, I only asked the clarification on the Washington state part because I was living, that's where I'm from. And I was in Spokane near Gonzaga. And I remember, really? yeah, <laughs> I, I, I remember the gold rush or the green rush, as you called it. I don't personally smoke either, but I definitely remember a lot of people getting into it from a licensing uh, standpoint too to then growing and, and becoming distributors and stuff. So I, as maybe we cross paths one day, who knows, but, uh, the, that it's very interesting. And so for, for you guys, walk me through as entrepreneurs, as founders, I, I know you have a team. I have gotten to meet a few of them, uh, very exciting and very like young and professional, very high energy group. And I, I really enjoy getting to hang out with you guys whenever the opportunity happens. And, and so going into what you guys have built now, going into, getting creative with the financing, not having a dedicated like financing background. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll aim this question for you, Adam, is, you know, biggest learnings, takeaways, slash things that maybe are getting you excited, just like Daniel was saying, you know, didn't really like the industry, didn't like the people, didn't like the product, to now being in a space that is very collaborative, is very partner focused, it's very creative in the sense of problem solving and everything like that. You know, what's, uh, what's the biggest thing for you from start to today? Hmm, that's that's an interesting one. So, I mean, I do have a background in, in finance, not in lending per se. Mm. My background is in real estate finance. Um, but I think one thing that's been that I think has been a, a pretty big takeaway for us running this business is that you know you mentioned the team. We we focused on hiring people with the qualities we want, not necessarily 
the background or, you know, base level, like knowledge in lending or finance. Like we don't go out necessarily and seek out other people that have been, you know, account executives at other lenders necessarily. It's more about focusing on, you know, the traits and the qualities that they people kind of possess naturally. And then we help train them on the specifics that they need to know for this type of finance. So that's one thing I've really enjoyed as we've built the company is just getting to, you know, bring on new team members, meeting them, you know, seeing how getting into this side of the industry has really helped them also expand their lives and get to live, you know, how, how, and when they want, you know, we've, we've leveraged a lot. Part of it was because of COVID and it was born out of necessity, but we've really leveraged a lot of, uh, you know, all the technologies and stuff that facilitate pretty much remote work anywhere in the world. Um, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, in the beginning, it was a lot of leveraging like W2 job, high, high W2 jobs for second homes, that type of stuff. Are you guys now to the point where, and completely correct me if I'm wrong, but now to the point where people actually have like a portfolio of properties and they're able to leverage that cash flow or they're able to leverage at least that portfolio in order to grow and scale into more or into different markets. What's the the landscape looking like these days? All right, Slick Talkers, now for another dynamic sponsored duo of the podcast. I would love to introduce you to Vintory and Safely. About Vintory, we've had Brooke Fott on the podcast, who is a founder, multiple times, and him and his team know numbers. They know data and they know marketing. They know how to help property managers just like you scale and grow their business by adding more inventory, aka more homes, into your rental program that drive the bottom line. For all of you listeners that want to learn how to scale and grow your inventory, you can get a free digital copy of Brooke's book called From Zero to 500 Properties in Five Years. And for an added bonus, if you would do a demo of the Vintory platform, you'll get a $50 gift card to Amazon. Now that's a sick deal. And now to touch on our friends at Safely.com. Safely.com helps property managers just like you and I protecting the homes that they manage from structural damage to content damage and of course bodily injury. This means plates, linens, cups, couches, tables, curtains, walls, and of course your guests themselves are protected. And this helps you by scaling your company in order to ensure that you are retaining owners and inventory in your program. If anything is broken or if anyone is hurt, you are able to make a claim through Safely and within three business days you can get instantly paid out to replace any items and settle any claims that happen on site without having to deduct from your owner's payouts. That's why I call these guys the dynamic sponsor duo. And thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Check out their offers in the show notes and back to the episode. So I don't know if um, you can leverage it and maybe in the sense that you're, you're mentioning where like you can get a loan for a different property using this other portfolio as collateral that that doesn't exist. But what does exist is, you know, people, a lot of investors are starting to do this, you know, as more sophisticated people enter the short-term rental space, a big push, I, I think, and what I, we're seeing is people building these performing boutique portfolios of, of short-term rentals with an eventual exit to, you know, probably some larger REIT or, you know, private equity fund or something like that. Because as short-term rentals are really, you know, becoming their own asset class, just like there's multifamily apartments, just like there's office, just like there's retail, uh, short-term rentals are going to be, I think, you know, their own specific asset type. And a lot of the savvier operators are are doing that upfront legwork to build a portfolio, get it cash flowing, and then again, sell to, you know, some kind of a more institutional player. Because these larger institutions, they're not going to go you know, they're not going to go through the effort to buy one-off properties and get them all into a portfolio. They're going to buy something that's already, you know, stabilized, performing, 
and it's what they want and that's how they're going to get exposure to this new asset type. Yeah. And not just buying or building a, a portfolio. You can do that, but the really savvy investors are building a brand behind the portfolio. Like yeah, it's a, a good type point. of experience, a type of a clientele, uh, a type of properties with expected uh, amenities, you know, internet, whatever the amenities would be and building the brand as well. Are these investors also operators or do they, do they outsource to an operation company? How does that usually work? Do you, do you know a lot of people that buy and operate? Yeah, I'd say the, the, the ones that are really scaling to, uh, you know, 50, 100 doors, they typically have their own operation. They have their systems in place in the way that they run things. I can't say that I know any that outsource it to anyone outside of their own, you know, branded experience. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely depends on, you know, who the investors are and what their, you know, thesis is or their objectives. But to Dan's point, the ones that are, I'd say, you know, building not just the portfolio, but the brand, they tend to also control everything total vertically, vertically integrated in, ter in terms of the operations as well, because not only is the property and the location and, you know, the design and all that of the actual asset itself part of the brand, but so is the experience. So you've got to control everything from, from check-in to check-out in order to maintain that brand integrity. Gotcha. That makes sense. My next question was going to lead into, is there like a particular market or like a property type that you guys consider bread and butter, right? Where it's, is it in a destination market? Is it urban? Yeah. I'm going to hold off of, of, of pinpointing any specific markets because once again, I've seen you know, C minus markets, you know, technically on air DNA and I've been an operator come to me and they're just crushing and somehow, some way, by out competing, they're crushing it. So I don't want to really, because I always believe in 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 being able to compete and, and position yourself the right way, no matter what the market. But in regards to property types, like I would like to speak towards, I would say the accommodations. Cause if you think about it, the properties you invest in, it's not just other Airbnbs that you're competing in. You're competing in the entire accommodation space. So typically, a studio, one bedroom, two bedroom, it's Depending on the market, there's going to be hotels, motels, a lot more inventory you're competing against for those people that just want to, you know, a couple staying or, you know, a company or two or three people. But the three bedroom plus, especially luxury, I believe those are the best investments, the best bread and butter as far as three bedroom plus. Because like, you're not at that point, you're, you're attracting a totally different crowd, you know, bachelor parties, bachelor parties, company retreats, uh, families that you know, or there for a wedding they all want to stay together. They don't want to split them up with hotels um, or, you know, longer stays that, you know, they, they need those amenities like kitchen and, you know, a washer and dryer that they're not going to get at a hotel. I love it. Uh, and I was going to put a disclaimer in, in the episode. I'm not giving any financial advice. I'm not giving any investment <laughs> advice. Uh, just FYI, I'll leave that to any of the listeners that want to reach out to you guys later, but just know that. It's not my wheelhouse and I avoid it like the plague and, and I don't want to get sued. So no, this is, is interesting. I guess going back to the founder aspect, uh, highlighting you guys as a, as a story rather than just going into a bunch of, you know, data and numbers. I would love to know to now you're outside that COVID window, the, as Adam said, the fuck me moments, uh, shit, damn, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, but I would love to, you know, what part do you hold on to from that, from, that 
moment is there like a obviously like you said to adam you have a little bit more on the line when it comes to risk compared to maybe daniel and i who don't have a wife and kids and and all that stuff but you know there's got to be something that kind of like holds you through even through the success outside of the failure yeah i mean i i think i'd say a couple things one is you know you know believing in yourself and believing in your team has got a lot of advantages there i mean that's kind of that's the big thing that i think carried us through you know, the initial COVID wave is we just, we believed in the idea, we believed in the company, we believed in ourselves, and we just kind of, you know, decided to persevere through, uh, even though we didn't have a clear in data when that, uh, you know, the whole COVID thing might, might uh, resolve itself. Fortunately, it was pretty, you know, it resolved itself relatively quickly. Um, but I think that's one thing that, you know, we both, my Dan, Dan and I talk about this all the time that we, we hang on to because, I mean, even this last year in 2022, it wasn't COVID, but, you know, we're dealing with, 40 high, 40 year high inflation and interest mm -hmm. rates increasing at the fastest pace they have in, in decades. So, you know, there was a lot of turbulence and choppy waters, um, that we were experiencing, you know, the first and second quarter last year. And it's just kind of hanging on to that same, you know, that same, uh, mindset that we had in COVID like this too shall pass and persevere, believe in yourself, believe in your team. And, you know, we, we made it through that section to, too. And then things are starting to kind of normalize and inflation is coming under control and, I think that's just, you know, an important thing that we, we both carry on from, you know, those initial COVID days. Mm -hmm. Do you guys maybe see, or have you seen, uh, obviously the articles and headlines of Airbnb bust, uh, yeah, type deal. What's your, think, what's your guys thoughts on all this? I think, you know, as, as this next evolution of short-term rentals, uh, occurs and as it, you know, continues its maturation into its own asset class, I think what's happening is a lot of these lack of better word, weak handed operators or unprofessional operators are the ones that are going to get shaken out of this market. And this typically occurs whenever you've got like a down cycle or a tightening credit cycle or whatever. It's those people that are less experienced <clears throat> or that maybe jumped in, you know, during the whole boom, the uh, 2020, 2021 boom, when all this new inventory was added, there's everybody and their mother on the internet telling you buy short-term rentals. They just print cash, passive income. You don't have to do anything, right? It's just buy that cabin and you know, you're going to be printing money day one. I think those are the people that are really feeding into this Airbnb bust narrative because the more experienced ones that we, that we talk to and we deal with, yeah, revenues down because like it is everywhere, but they're not struggling to the extent that these articles are, are portraying them because they're professionals. They do this as a business. And I think that's really what's uh, going to be this next evolution, you know, through the process. What about you, Daniel? You, you had some on your on look on your face, look at you had some thoughts. He kind of covered a lot, but really next evolution, I think we're, we're seeing it happen already is yes, there's going to be more competition, more, you know, any asset class, any business that is profitable, there's going to be com competition that comes in and the margins get squeezed. So really not focusing on being the cheapest option, not focusing on, you know, those numbers or, you know, it's a race to the bottom if you do that. So it's how can you develop? a product and experience that people are willing to pay a premium for no matter what. And I think the word here is experience. A lot of people now that are traveling are looking for experience or experience over luxury. So if you can build a brand, if you can build a set of properties and a portfolio that speaks to the heart and soul of a specific tribe of people, type of traveler, whether they're action sports travelers or families that, you know, have kids and like really, really honing down on what they want in their stay and making it unique for them. Um, because that's what short-term rental operators have, uh, is, is agility in this market. 
that, you know, Marriott can't compete with. They can't, you know, make custom, you know, murals and custom experiences brand wide for a specific audience, but we can, you have two, three, four, five, ten 10 properties. You can really speak to a specific demographic. And one thing that, you know, I've been saying lately is your, if your Airbnb or if your short-term rental is for everyone, then it's for no one. So you have to make it, you, know, you can't be afraid to really niche yourself out and provide a unique experience to your tribe. Does all that go into the financial piece when someone comes to you guys with a either property or a destination they want to invest in? Does that conversation happen when it comes to like operations experience? Like, do you guys cover that with them or? No, n- not not from like a lending perspective, but, you know, it's it's certainly something that we will if if clients ask our opinion, you know, we'll obviously yeah. give it to them. But just from a pure like guideline underwriting, can the loan close perspective? No, that that's not really a factor where, you know, it's a little bit more analytical. We just look at the numbers, right? So we'll look at, you know, actual performance or we'll look at, you know, a, a printout from Airbnb or AirDNA or Rabu or one of those other data tools. You know, it's just the nature of lending, right? It's very, you know, black or white. It qualifies or it doesn't qualify, meets the guidelines yeah. or it doesn't meet the guidelines. So yeah, not not in uh, our conversations. Yeah, it's, it's more so like on the, if there's like a, a larger loan size and there there is a willingness to look at more of a qualitative approach to, okay, you guys are experienced to, you know, 50 properties and they all perform extremely well. Maybe we'll get like an LTV exception on, you know, a loan size above 2 million for a specific property. But other than that, it's for the most part, 95% of our conversations, maybe more don't have that uh, additional step required or that type of conversation. But there, there is additional due diligence on the operators themselves. So if someone's, you know, owns several different uh, short-term rentals and has demonstrated that they've been in the market and understand how to operate these properties, then you can get different exceptions approved by being deemed a, a professional short-term rental investor versus, you know, a novice or, or, or the first timer. So there is that additional due diligence on the operators themselves. But as far as like, you know, getting down into the weeds about who's your niche target demographic and are you going to, you know, have this speak to this tribe or, or not, that we don't get that granular. Gotcha. Yeah. Just from a outside perspective, I would think, you know, the, the type of experience the offering that, you know, all goes into nightly rates and revenue and how that all works. So maybe my head goes to, well, if I can prove that to you guys as a lender, then great. Maybe I should have a higher or a higher opportunity. But again, this is all very new to me on that side. So it's good to know it's numbers focus. It makes it actually a lot easier because then you don't have to be like, well, if you've played this fact, you don't have to play the guessing game. You can just read the numbers and, and make it easy. So I like that. I like that personally. So I told you guys before we record that we ask every guest prior to recording with somebody else that we get a question for you without them knowing who you are. And then I'm going to do the same thing. I'll ask you to ask the next guest a question without giving a heads up on who's who. Uh, it's kind of been funny to play this game because it's a lot of the previous guests are lining up in sense of topic and maybe category of the space. So it's been pretty interesting to see unintentionally. That's how it's gone. So my last question uh, was from Tony, who's the uh, founder and CEO of Blue Cedar out in West Virginia. They own and operate their own cabins, anywhere from two to three bedrooms. They have about 60 right now. They're about to be at 130 at the end of the year. So growing rapidly. And his question, I am going to butcher it. It's Capert. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. yeah, we know. We, know. Okay. we just saw him in uh, okay. Miami at the IMN conference like two weeks ago. <laughs> okay, yes. He's going to laugh. And if he listens to this episode, he's going to laugh that I butchered his last name. Hey, but... Tony. <laughs> hey, Tony. <laughs> 
<laughs> sorry to sorry to butcher it, my friend. But his question for you guys is, what do you think? And this, I want to hear individually. So we'll go. We'll probably go Adam and Daniel. What do you think a life well lived looks like, and what are you doing to live that life? Hmm. Hmm. Life well lived. Yeah, I think you know this could be you know my, my opinion. I guess on this has changed certainly after having kids, but yeah, it's really understanding that there are, are multiple different aspects in your life between your friends, your family, your children, your work ambitions, all of that. And to just not get overly focused or overly like tunnel visioned on one, like work, for example, just remember that, you know, there, there's a lot of different parts to a full well-rounded life and you kind of got to give your attention to all those different parts. So I think, you know, making sure that you spend time, you know, especially with, with family, with children, with friends, that thing, that to me is, is something that is very important in living a, a full, well-rounded life. And are, are you living it? Is that? I am trying my best. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it's, you know, it's probably, um, I, I'm sure a lot of business owners or entrepreneurs can, can say this. It is very, very easy to just get solely focused on the problems in your work life. The ones that, you know, take up the immediate part of your attention. Right. So it, it's, it's definitely, I, I made it a point. It was a new year's resolution to like take a step back. You know, there's those problems will always be there tomorrow, but you know, this time you have your, with your family will always be there. So, you know, it's, it's something I'm working on <laughs> trying to, trying to pull, pull away from being so in, in depth in the company all the time. Yeah. I love it. What about you, Daniel? That is an amazing question. Uh, I, I think there's something that for me, always gives me perspective is one thing I think about uh, from time to time is if I was to pass away now, what ripple effect would I leave as a result of that? What would my funeral look like? What lives did I impact? Did I make, you know, the, the people, whether it's family or friends, did I make their lives better for, for, uh, for having crossed by? Um, so I really take my time very seriously, you know, I like spending my time, you know, doing things I love with the people that I love and I value the freedom to do that. So I would say being present in the moment and just being present with my, my family and friends and really taking the time to do that. Uh, it's very rare that I say no to somebody in regards to like taking, you know, pushing something away, pushing something back, that's not really important in order to spend quality time with my, my friends. With them. Yeah. I love that. Now, without telling you who the next guest is going to be after this episode, I'll give them two questions. So it'll be, it'll be a, a new one, but I'll let you each ask a question for the next guest ahead. It could be business related. It could be personal, but if you, without knowing who they are, if you could ask them one question, what would it be? I'd say this is kind of a, kind of a cheesy one, but uh, you know, if you could go back in time, 10 years, what, what's one thing you would do differently? You know, like what's one move or one, yeah. What would you do differently if you could rewind the clock 10 years, basically get a, a restart, a do-over? What would you do differently? Yeah. I like that. And what about you, Daniel? Okay. Would you choose to go back to take a hundred million dollars today or go back to six years old, knowing everything you know now? <laughs> That's a good one too. That is good. I like it today or six. Awesome. <laughs> Which one would you take, Dan? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, I'm going to six years old. Time is precious. Yeah, I'd go all the way back and do that. I'd do this life again. <laughs> nice. 
I, I, I would probably go the hundred million. I'm like, I, I know what, what? Uh, I, I know what I would do with a hundred million today. And that's for, yeah. for damn sure. Six years old, I would probably still fall into the same temptations I fell in when I was going through like middle <laughs> if school. If you knew everything you knew today, hundred million dollars should be no problem. <laughs> true. True. I don't know. But I already know what I know. Well, you have like oh, a fully developed Yeah, I'm putting money in that. Yeah. So you get to have the fully the fully developed mind when you go back to being six years old. You're not like in a that, mind of a six year old again. That'd be weird. We'd be pretty be weird, weird six year old if you're, you have the same mind we Dude. do now. Yeah. Yeah, we would. We would. It'd be very. My parents would probably put me in more therapy. They'd be like, uh, <laughs> wrong with these kids." Yeah. This guy's. Uh, this guy's some screws loose. No, I love it. That's, that's. Those are both good questions. And then another real question that I've always done on the show is. If anyone likes what they heard or if they want to get in touch with you guys, where can they find you? What's the best place to send anybody that's listening today or just is really interested about more of what we talked about in the episode? Yeah, they can go to www.postfinancial.com. That's our website. Uh, you can request a quote uh, as fast as 60 seconds. If you need to reach out to us, go to the contact form, ask us any questions. We're happy to be a resource. You can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all, all on Facebook, Facebook, all at, at Post Financial. Uh, you can follow nice. Adam. I was say you, Adam got, you guys got Twitter. <laughs> I'm glad you guys got the handle across all platforms. It's hard. Not everyone gets that opportunity. So it's a good one. It's a good one. Well, thank you guys so much for both being on the show. I know Daniel, at least uh, we've been having this conversation back and forth months and months of getting you guys on the podcast. So I'm glad we finally did it. Adam, it's great to get to know you a little bit more. And I'm looking forward to the in-person events uh, coming up, but then also hanging out and getting to chat, possibly doing another another episode in the future. We'll have a lot more to, to uncover there. So thank you guys so much. And to all the listeners and the viewers today, if you like what you heard, like and subscribe to the show notes. All things Host Financial will be there. And we'll see you all again next week. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.